0: Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farrakh.
1: We don't quote the part where he says, with man, it's impossible. And he says that first. With man, it's impossible. They were astonished. How then is it possible? Jesus just got done telling them it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to go enter the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples are going, are you kidding me? Who can possibly get saved? It's impossible then. To which Jesus said, well, with man, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible.
0: You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaniohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Ezra. Today, Pastor J.D. will be encouraging us to not only pray for God to guide us in our decision making but to also have faith that God can do what seems to be impossible. God often brings us to a place where we're forced into a seemingly impossible situation so that we're forced to look up to Him for provision and wisdom. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of this broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now here's Pastor J.D. with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth.
1: Before he's about to die, Isaac says to Esau, go out and get, you know, some venison and make it for me. You know the way I like it. And then come back and I'll give you the blessing before I die. And I have to understand, in that culture at that time, and it's really the same way today, modern day, it is so important to get the blessing as the firstborn son, from your father before he dies. And this is what they're both after, actually. Well, verse uh, 18, Genesis 27. So he, speaking of Jacob, disguises Esau, went to his father Isaac and said, "'My father,' and he said, "'Here I am. "'Who are you, my son?' Remember, he's blind, he can't see. So he asks, "'Who is it, my son?' Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit, and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, he's, he's kind of skeptical here, he says, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he said, because the Lord your God brought it to me. Good save, that's pretty clever you got to hand it to Jacob. Remember, he's pretty, you know, he's pretty clever. So, verse 21, Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son. Feelings. (laughs) Nothing more than feelings. And by the way, he's about to make this major far-reaching decision solely on the basis of feelings. So he says, Come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. He's still doubting. Something doesn't quite feel right. No pun intended. So, verse 22, Jacob went near to Isaac his father, and he felt him and said, The words I hear, the voice I hear, is Jacob's voice, but the hands, the hands I feel are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize it because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. Verse 24. Then he said, and he's still doubting. Are you really my son Esau? And what's Jacob's response? He said, I am liar, deceiver, heel snatcher. Oh, by the way, talk about the name is the nature. You know what Yachob means? Yachob means heel snatcher. Remember when he was in the womb? Even before he was born, he was trying to grab Esau's heel so he could be the firstborn of the twins in the womb. And he was the name was the nature, so he's born, and mom and dad say, "You little heel snatcher, you, we're going to have to name you Yahoob, Jacob." And then, by the way, the name is the nature. What does God do? No longer will you be heel snatcher, con man, Yahoob, you will be Israel, ruled by God, Israel, possessed by God, ruled by God. That will be your name. And remember, by the way, when he changed his name, his nature, it was after Jacob was wrestling with the Lord. This is the Lord himself. This is what's known as a Christophany, a pre-Bethlehem appearance of Jesus Christ himself in the Old Testament when he's wrestling with the Lord himself all night, demanding that the Lord bless him. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me, to which the Lord, in a sense, said, well, I can't bless you till I break you. So he touched his hip socket and changed him for the rest of his life, changed his walk, if you prefer, for the rest of his life. And once he broke him, Then he was able to bless him. And in blessing him, he changed his name to Israel instead of Yehob. So again, dad's still skeptical. He says, are you really my son, Esau? He says, I am. He said, bring it near to me, and I will eat of my son's game so that my soul may bless you. He's still not quite convinced. Okay, the arms... Feel like Esau. The words I hear, the voice I hear, still seems like it's Jacob. So I know, let me taste of the venison and then I'll know. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, (laughs) one more test here. I wonder if Jacob's still sweating it out here. Come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him. And listen to this. And he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him and said, Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. The feeling he felt, the smell he smelt, He made this decision based on that and not on the word he heard. Because the word he heard was Jacob. The feeling he felt, the smell he smelled, was Esau. And he made the decision based on his senses, his feelings, his touch, sight with Joshua, and not the word not seeking the word of the Lord. Even though, and this is what is so fascinating to me, even though the words Isaac heard sounded like Jacob, he went against the word he heard and made this decision based on what he felt, what he smelled. You know where I'm going with here, where I'm headed with this, right? We do err greatly, don't we? When we make decisions, especially major decisions in our lives based on our feelings. You know, how, how do you feel about it? Years ago, many, many years ago now when I was in sales, they always taught us to say to the man, ask the man, what do you think? And ask the woman, how do you feel? Think about that in making this decision. What do you think? How do you feel? And, well... <laughs> What what are we told? If it feels good, do it. No. <laughs> if, if it feels good, do it. Are you kidding me? We walk by faith, not by feelings. Right? We make decisions based on the Word of God. Not on how we feel. Not on what our senses are. And... Think about this. Look at the far reaching ramifications of this decision by <laughs> Isaac. Are we not still dealing with it today? All these generations later with the Jews and the so-called Palestinians who try to lay illegitimate claims all the way back to Ishmael. That's a whole nother lesson to be learned for a whole nother time that that has to do with helping God out doing in the flesh what God wants to do supernaturally in the spirit we're actually be talking about that this issue of self-reliance relying on one's self relying on and trusting in one's own strength and how it is that God will bring us to the end of ourselves And we always say, we quote Jesus, where Jesus said, you know, with God, all things are possible. Well, we don't quote the part where he says, with man, it's impossible. And he says that first. With man, it's impossible. They were astonished. How then is it possible? Jesus just got done telling them it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to go enter the kingdom of heaven and the disciples are going are you kidding me who could possibly get saved it's impossible then to which jesus said well with man it's impossible but with god all things are possible but here's the thing you know when it's possible for god only when it's first impossible for us okay god can do the impossible, but it's impossible for God to do the impossible when it's still possible for us. Please, that was a, I hope that doesn't sound like a, <laughs> let me say the same thing a different way. If it's still possible for us to do it, uh it's it's hands off to God. Here, here we are. No, I I can do this. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. God says, okay, I'm not going to force myself on you. After you failed for the 1,394th time, and you throw up your hands and you say to yourself, "Uh, I can't do this, then maybe you'll come to me so that I can. You've heard of the three step program, right? It's very simple. Three steps. Step one, realize I can't. Step two, know he can. Step three, Let him, let him. I mean, I just, I imagine God in heaven waiting on standby for us to come to him and say, Lord, I can't do this. And then his response is something to the effect of, well, it's about time. (laughs) I've been waiting here this whole time for you to come to the end of yourself so that you would look to me so that I can do it for you instead of you. Lord, this thing is impossible. Good. I'm the God of, oh, oh, pick me. I'm the God of the impossible. Let me do this for you. Sometimes we're in situations in our life and God allows us to go through those circumstances in our lives where it is so impossible so that we'll turn to Him and rely on him. I completely went way away. So let's get back to this Bible study already in progress, verse 55. The sons of Solomon's servants, the sons of Sotai, the sons of Safareth, the sons of Peruda, the sons of Ja'ala, the sons of Darkon, the sons of Gidel, verse 57, the sons of Shephatiah, the sons of Hatil, the sons of Pakareth, of Zebaim and the sons of Ami. All the Nethanim and the children of Solomon's servants were 392. And these were the ones who came up from Tel Melah, Tel Harsha, Cherub Adan, and Imr, but they could not identify, listen, this is interesting, their father's house or their genealogy, whether they were of Israel. The sons of Deliah, the sons of Tobiah, and the sons of nakara 652. And verse 61, of the sons of the priests, the sons of Habiah, the sons of Koz, the sons of Barzillai, who took a wife of the daughters of Barzillai, the Gileadite, and was called by their name. These sought their listing among those who were registered by genealogy, but they were not found. Therefore, they were excluded from the priesthood as defiled. And the governor said to them that they should not eat of the most holy things till a priest could consult with the Urim and Thummim. What in the world are the Urim and the Thummim. Well, you might remember from our study in the book of Exodus, where in the construction of the tabernacle, they would also make this breastplate for the high priest, and they would have the 12 stones in it, but they would have two stones, the Urim and the Thummim, and the high priest would use the Urim and the Thummim to determine whether or not it was the will of God. It's believed that when Samuel, the prophet, went to the house of Jesse, to anoint the next king of Israel to succeed Saul. And here are the seven of the eight sons of Jesse. David's not even in the lineup. It's believed that Samuel used the Urim and the Thummim, and God didn't identify any one of the seven sons, starting with the oldest, as was the custom, the oldest son, Eliab. And he gets all the way down to the youngest, Seven of the eight, and when the Urim and the Thumim are not identifying any of them, then Samuel says to Jesse, um, I'm pretty sure I heard God on this, that I was to come to your house and anoint one of your sons, the next king of Israel. Surely you have another son, don't you? Uh, yeah. Where is he? Oh, he's out shepherding the flock, tending to the sheep, and I didn't think that he would be the one that would be anointed king, so I didn't even bother having him come and shower and get in the lineup. And so Samuel says, nobody rests until you bring him here immediately. So they go and they get him and they bring him, and here's this, we're told ruddy and handsome, some believe to be about 13 years old at the time, maybe even younger. Get this, right? He's the youngest. And sure enough, he takes the Urim and the thumim. boom. God uses that to identify David as the one. And he's anointed king of Israel. And Samuel is astonished. And what God ministers to him is that you, man, look at the outward appearance. You're looking at this tall, firstborn, handsome, rugged son, Eliab. Surely this is the man whom God will anoint. You look at the outward appearance. But God looks at the heart. And what do we know to be true about David? He was a man after God's own heart. He loved God. He had a heart for God. But they used the Urim and the Thummim to determine that. Well, to their credit, they are consulting this same Urim and Thummim because there were those who were laying claims to the priestly lineage, but they couldn't prove their genealogy. This is long before they had ancestry.com. You know, that website where you can find out. Have you seen those commercials? They're always of interest to me because they'll put somebody up there and they'll say, you know, I thought I was Scottish and it turns out I'm German <laughs> and who knew, right? And so I am terrified to do that I will never do that I'm so afraid of what I will find in my ancestry I'm 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 scared that I'm somehow related to like someone like Yasser Arafat, which would just really ruin my day. (laughs) So, you know, they they say ignorance is bliss. I just remain ignorant and and as such blissful. So I'm not going to do that. And don't bring me a Urim and a Thummim either to figure it out. Verse 64, The whole assembly together was 42,360 besides their male and female servants of whom there were 7,337 and they had 200 men and women singers. Their horses were 736, their mules 245, their camels 435 and their donkeys 6,720 to which you ask Why, pray tell, do we need to know (laughs) these numbers? What in the world is the point? What's the purpose? Well, this again is one of those places where at first read, you read through that and you think there's no application when in fact there is. And if you'll hear me out, I'll share with you why I believe we have these numbers. This is an indication of how the numbers increased. So we have other records in Scripture of what their numbers were prior to when they went into captivity. And then here subsequently we have numbers also as they're now ending their captivity. And what do you know? The numbers at the end of the captivity are greater than the numbers prior to the captivity. Well, what are you saying? Well, you know what that means? That means that they grew in captivity. What's your point? My point is, isn't it true that that's when we grow? We grow in times of difficulty. We don't grow when we're in times of ease and comfort. We grow in our faith. We mature in Christ during times of trials and difficulty. That's God's way of growing us. Uh, I think of the Israelites in Egypt, the slavery in Egypt. They go in as a family. They come out as a nation. They grew in that womb of difficulty, as it were. And again, is it not true that that's how and when we, too, will grow? Let's finish the chapter, verse 68. Some of the heads of the fathers' houses, when they came to the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem, offered freely for the house of God to erect in its place According to their ability, verse 69, they gave to the treasury for the work 61,000 gold drachmas. I'll let somebody who's into that uh, do that math based on what one ounce of gold is, but that's kind of a lot. 5,000 minas of silver and 100 priestly garments. So the priests, verse 70, and the Levites, some of the people, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the Nethanim dwelt in their cities, and all Israel in their cities. I love ending a Bible study and a chapter like this, this way, and here again this week. We get to do that. Can't think of a better way. Here they come. They see the condition of the house of the Lord, and what's their response? The response is to give generously of their own volition. And so too for us, when we see the house of the Lord in need, we see the needs of a ministry, the needs of the church, the needs of the Lord's work, and our response is like them to of our own volition give generously
0: we are so glad you've joined us again for another look into the book of ezra we believe the spirit of god is alive and active in the world today that he brings to life the words written in scripture we hope today's message has brought you life if you'd like to hear more life-giving messages from Pastor J.D. Farag, you'll find them online at inspiritandtruthradio.com. While you're there, take a moment to check out the Mideast east Prophecy Update, in which Pastor J.D. discusses current events and their prophetic importance each Friday and Saturday. Here to tell you more about this is Pastor J.D.
1: Thanks, Josh. Followers of Jesus Christ have this anticipating of his soon return at the rapture of the church, especially with everything that's happening in the world today. i of the belief that we are seeing key Bible prophecies beginning to come to pass in real time. And it's for this reason that we do these weekly prophecy updates as we look up and lift up our heads, knowing our redemption draws ever so near. This is what Jesus said in Luke's Gospel, chapter 21, verse 28. Our hope here at In Spirit and Truth is that believers will be ready and non-believers will get ready by coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ while there's still time.
0: Thanks, Pastor J.D., and thanks to you for being a part of our listening audience. If you're in the Kaneohe area, we'd love to meet you in person. Stop by Calvary Chapel Kaneohe on Sundays and Thursdays to worship with us and study the Word of God. Find directions and service times at Inspiritintruth dot com and be sure to tune in again right here on Inspirit and Truth.